Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 109, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. Oh, we've got some husky voices in the studio tonight. <laughs> uh, have you guys managed to get any rest since uh, well, play? We were at Play Expo in Blackpool over the weekend, and I think it's fair to say Blackpool is the party capital of the UK. <laughs> uh, definitely. We were all a bit worse for wear on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. Other than all, Ravi, day, all day Sunday. All day Sunday, sleeping in the car on the way home. Yeah. Not me, I was driving. No, yeah, not that, <laughs> yeah. but I Maybe was. Maybe a micro nap every now and then. <laughs> uh, but obviously we were in Play Blackpool over the weekend, and I think I'd say this is the biggest play event we've done in Blackpool. It's our third year now, and the attendance there was just through the roof. I was, I was blown away by the amount of people. You know, mm. we were doing these talks, and there was just standing room at the back, and yeah. it was just so popular. It was yeah. really good. And the whole event was popular, actually. The Sunday was like as busy as a Saturday. I ha- I'd agree. I was worried it wasn't going to be that busy. I was like, oh, playing in February, it's not been that long since the last one. Yeah. But it proved me wrong. It was busier, as busy as ever. And in the Sunday, I think, Dan, you said it was the busiest it'd ever been on a Sunday. Busiest Sunday they've ever busiest had, I believe, yeah. Sunday you know, just even apart from the Samoans and everything, it was the yeah. busiest one ever. And obviously, we were down there all weekend, hosted, what, five talks, didn't we? Oh, yeah. A few <laughs> that we've had on the show before. Um, so we're not going to kind of repeat old ground, but we've got one today. Um, that I I think is actually a UK first. We had four of the biggest YouTubers mm. all together for the UK's first retro gaming YouTuber panel. You know, I I rewatched it and it's just absolutely incredible. Really good panel. I think it's some of the best work we've done. There was a lot of buzz around it we, on the Saturday night. You know, we saw quite a few listeners went out. You know, quite a few drinks and stuff like that, and uh, they had a lock in, which was yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, and a lot of the people at the lock in were really hyped about the YouTube panel were saying like, you know, this YouTube panel is going to be amazing and, you know, it was, so. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Like you said, standing room only. So we had um, Kim Justice, Ashens, Stuart Slopes Ashen was there, well. uh, Slope, Slope Game Room, Dan- Danny Libertson, uh, Nostalgia Nerd, Peter Lee. Obviously, we've had all these on the show separately mm. but this interview is actually really interesting because we'll get quite a bit of debate going on and yeah there's a lot of back and forth and you know they don't always agree on the same yeah. points so you kind of get all different angles of debate you know it's great yeah and there's a few um audience questions and stuff that were really good too so we're going to bring you a live recording from play expo in blackpool of our massive youtuber panel that's coming up on the retro hour podcast in around 20 minutes from now you did mention that we had a bit of a lock-in as well how amazing was that it was amazing i you know what, Rav, so the story goes, Ravi in the morning is going on about this lock-in we're going to have in the evening. Yeah. Well, like, what's Ravi on about lock-in? He's like, it's going to be smoke machines, it's going to be a laser show, yeah. it's going to be a rave. And he was like, they're going to lock it down, it closes at six, yeah. and it reopens at seven till about one, two in the morning. After party. After party for all the staff, VIPs, guests, you know, anybody who kind of worked it. It was, well, it like, was kind of because everyone was working in the daytime yeah. and they didn't get to play on exactly. anything. Exactly. So, and yeah. I, I was calling bull on Ravi. I was like, nah, it's not, you know. And then the organiser, I forget his name. Andy. A good old Andy. He mentioned it in the green room and I thought, oh, okay, all right, it is happening. Oh, it might but, be official. <laughs> it might be official, <laughs> yeah. but it, it's Ravi, you know. There's not <laughs> Underground gonna be a, raving. Yeah, there's not going to be a laser show, <laughs> but, you know, we get to go in and we walk in on the dot at seven o'clock 
And heaven behold, there's a smoke machine, laser show, <laughs> there's a rave. And it was brilliant, wasn't it? Don't, don't doubt the lad. <laughs> and you, you know, the best thing is as well, we had so many nice people come up to us. You know, we had Peter Edwards, who'd, he'd come from South Africa. He's in London. Just and he, for play, yeah. Right, and he thought he'd pop up and mm. see us. And, mm. you know, we could sneak them all in. So <laughs> we weren't well, those people. Well, this is the funny thing. So that hour from six to seven, Ravi goes like, oh, we're going to sneak people in. How are we going to break in? And I'm like, Ravi, we've all got VIP wristbands. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to go on the fire escape, yeah. didn't he? Just yeah, be a rebel. Yeah. But, I mean, to me, Obviously, all the arcades there were old school arcades anyway. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, we didn't get a chance to play them in the day because no. we yeah, were, we were run off our feet. So, you know. Yeah, we never normally do. But because we had this lock in afterwards and the DJ was all playing, it was all 90s music. Oh, all night. It was so cheesy, yeah. but it worked so well. When we were playing the games on the arcades, it was like they were going with the music. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I was listening to um, Live and Joy, Don't Stop Moving while playing Outrun. I thought, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah this yeah. is, he couldn't get more old me, school than this. Me and Ravi joined a Halo tournament and. Uh, Oh, what was it? It was all like, you know, push it to the limit, like 80s yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. It was yeah. like cartoonish and all yeah. that stuff. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, and the smoke machine was blasting. And yeah. then uh, I think there was me and Steve Hammond from DMA Design at the bar for about four hours. Yeah. Every, every time my pint ran low, he put another one in my hand. Yeah. So that's the thing, Blackpool, cheap pints. <laughs> yeah, agree. They'll explain the head on uh, yeah, Sunday morning and maybe yeah. the slightly blurry bit at the end of yeah, the Yeah, and then we had to do uh, the massive uh, YouTubers panel. So yeah. I think we pulled it off, though. We yeah, did. Oh, I mean, yeah. you guys did. Blackpool, it's always a party weekend. And I got a few pickups. Actually, managed to get some Atari Jaguar games. Yeah, no, you did. Uh, we arrived. We got there nice and early Saturday morning because yeah. you wanted like that hour or two just to kind of not put your feet up, but just kind of have a quick look around. Yeah. Ravi had been there from the night before. Well, so we turned up. He's on a two day bender. Yeah, he's a two day bender. He turned up and he knew where to was. And uh, me and Dan, we went homed in on the Jag games. There's yeah. one store with Jag games and you just homed in on them, didn't you? Well, normally, it's this console passion that had them and yeah. I always go up to them and go, have you got any Jaguar games? Oh, no, we don't get many of them. Walked down and I was like, Jaguar games? Then about 15 and you had all of them but about three or four, didn't you? Yeah, so I picked them but yeah, actually, they weren't by prices either. About 20 quid each I paid for them. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. And I'd love to thank the people that also bought us things as well. Yeah, what did you get? I got a Tapuino thing which is basically a little tape loader for the Commodore 64. fast loader thing. Yeah, yeah, from Peter Edwards and Miss Mad Lemon also bought me a fast loader for the C64. We got and a C card reader thing. Yeah, 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 and a little um, buggy boy game. But also, we got a really cool from George Tui. He made us a custom little. Oh God, what Ret- was it? It's like a retro our LED panel, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. So cool. it's kind of got LEDs on the bottom, and it's etched in. I think it's perspex or glass, yeah, yeah. and it all highlights the retro hour logo, which was just mind blowing. We'll stick a picture of it on Facebook because there was a stall selling them there as well, and he said, "Oh, this is a guy that did it for you." But yeah, oh. yeah that's the thing. It blows me away every year mm. because. We've done this show for two years now, but apart from like tweets and Facebook messages, it's like three guys sat in a badly decorated room on a Tuesday night. You know what I mean? You don't realise just how many people listen yeah. and get involved. And yeah. You can't beat meeting people face to face and shaking their hands. I mean, far too many people to mention, but we appreciate everyone who came up and I, said to listen to the show. I just loved when we were walking along in that hour gap and I just heard a load of people go, that's Amiga guy. It's Amiga Dan. And I was like, what's, what's going on here? And we turned around, a group of lads straight away. Yeah. And I was just like, that's brilliant. They were top blokes, weren't they? Yeah, they and were. obviously everyone recognises Handsome Joe. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Autographs all weekend long. They were just blinded by the handsomeness. <laughs> Put so, me on the spot in the pub, actually, on the Saturday night. I was like, oh, for God's sake. I made him introduce himself to everyone as Handsome Joe. Like, this guy's full of himself. <laughs> but yeah, what another amazing weekend. And obviously there are more events coming up. Uh, you're in uh, Margate this weekend yep. for Geek. And then obviously we'll have... Uh, 
uh, play. I think we're going to be in Glasgow and Manchester later in the year too. So we'll keep the calendar up to date on our website. The, at the fun Retro doesn't Hour. stop. Never stops. Now, speaking of our website, theretrohour.com, that is a place where you can head to if you'd like to show your support for the show. I mean, it's amazing when we go out and meet people face to face. If you can't make it to an event and you just want to say thanks for us doing the show each week, anything we get into our tip jar is massively appreciated and obviously allows us to keep doing the show week in, week out without having to pay for the entire thing out of our own pocket, which is always nice. Yep. So thank you if you've made a donation this week. You'll make your place in the Hall of Fame if you do, just like Paul Vince. Graham Stevenson. Greg Girk and Lee Langley, who all made donations into the running of the Retro Hour podcast this week. Thank you so much, guys. You can do the same. We've got PayPal links, cryptocurrency, any way you want to pay. You'll find it all on the front page of theretrohour.com. Now, before we get into our big YouTubers panel recorded at Play Expo in Blackpool, there are a few news stories to talk about. Now, actually, one thing that we did cover in this panel quite a bit is gaming TV. Yeah, because, you know, YouTube, it's kind of like the new gaming TV, isn't it? So... We were talking about traditional TV and about traditional game show formats. And yeah. you remember Go 8-Bit last year. Yeah, I think there's a new series of that just started. Isn't it started last night. Yeah, I thought it. Thought yeah, it Monday night. And, and that show is, I mean, it's all right just to see old games on screen, but it's hardly Games Master. I was, I was games really Master. not a fan of it because when I saw it, it had that kind of taking the mick out of gamers yeah. vibe when they were doing mm. a lot of jokes mm. and it... And as a gamer, it's really annoying to see that. It's like, why does that have to be in there? Yeah. You know, you could just be friendly and open. But That old stereotype yeah. that gamers are all nerds who live in the mother's yeah, basement. Yeah, kind exactly. Of thing. And yeah. that's yeah. always backed up on every episode. Some of them are quite, quite handsome, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so. <laughs> can't, can't think of any of getting to his head. He's going to get a T-shirt printed with it on next, I will, next, next year we go. Just, handsome, my, yeah. just my face on it. <laughs> Selling his own merch store, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there is a new gaming television show then. Yes, and this is uh, by Rob Beckett, and uh, people probably don't know who Rob Beckett is, but he's a comedian, stand-up guy with massive teeth. That's how you probably remember. As soon as you said that, I was like, I know the guy. Blonde hair, quite short, isn't yeah. he? He's actually quite funny. He's often on, like, Have I Got News For You and shows like that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's quite good, and uh, this is going to be called Playing For Time, and it's going to be on Channel 4. Um, now, unfortunately, it does kind of sound like the format is quite similar to Go 8-Bit. Really because does, it? it's got, like, Josh Widdicombe on the... Rachel Riley, Scarlett Moffat. It's kind of like the same kind of no. panellists you get on all comedy like, shows. I'm not sure, because it says it's a four-part series. Okay. And he's going to look through kind of like, you know, the games kind of through the decades. Yeah. So I don't know if it's more going to be kind of like a, ref- a review format. I'm okay. not sure. Or, or yeah, you know. like a historic look rather than a quiz. Yeah. But it might be just like, but, do you remember Street Fighter? Yeah. You know. Well, off, off the back of what Ravi was saying a minute ago, with him being a comedian, is it going to be him taking the mick? Yeah, in each episode out of out of it, like well, look at that. I don't know how much of a gamer he is. Obviously, we had that you know the Ian Lee film mm-hmm. candy mm-hmm. documentary back in the early nineties, and he, oh, he was yeah. a comedian who did a really good job on it. But it's a fact that you you know the, the kind of red light for me is the fact that it's got Josh Widdicombe and all them all mm-hmm. them who you see mm-hmm. on like nine out of ten cats and all that. Yeah, yeah. They might they're probably you know thinking about it. They might just be talking heads who come on and you yeah. know, between the bits maybe. Yeah, they might have like a little history sections and stuff. But Dara O'Brien as well, he seemed to be a bit of a gamer as well. Yeah. So, but then it's with TV, it's always what the producers decide, well, isn't it? Yeah. You know, they could have a concept and it could get totally changed. <laughs> and uh, oh no, we've got to aim for the 
young teenagers or something, you know. It's, uh... Well, it does sound like it's going to be a nostalgic show because apparently it's going to stop off in the 80s and 90s and the noughties where they're going to dress in fashions of the era and there'll be music from the era from New Romantics to grunge uh, while sharing stories reminiscent about movies, mu- music crazes each decade and obviously video games as well. It sounds potentially awful, <laughs> I'm afraid to say. But, I mean, even, One way or the other. Yeah. Even just seeing classic games on TV, if it, I mean, I've got a feeling it's going to just be like you said, Street Fighter and Pac-Man, yeah, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. I doubt you're going to see anything. It, what's the new series like, Joe? Have you seen much of Go 8-Bit, the new series? Oh, no, I've never watched I wrote it off straight away. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm... Same here, after, after three episodes or something. Well, I, I, didn't was even, I was like, go 8-bit. So I clicked on it and they're playing Street Fighter. I'm like, well, that's not 8-bit and turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> the last time I watched it, they were playing uh, Flappy Bird or something. Yeah, it was it's like, when oh. they did that zany change positions thing where the thing goes around and they go, ooh, yeah. the seats. Oh, God. It takes about two yeah. minutes for the yeah. set to spin around, doesn't it? I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> and, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, like you said, YouTube's the new gaming TV. But Absolutely. I think they've got to make these kind of... TV shows, if they do any about video gaming, really for people that are not that into games, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're the audience yeah. that they're aiming for. But I'd agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It's always good to see some form of gaming covered on TV, I guess, but bring back Games Master. Yes. <laughs> Come on, Dominic, <laughs> we know yeah. you're listening. <laughs> There's been a lot of activity on the Game Boy scene recently. Tell us about this interesting well, little gadget you found. This is called the Pocket Sprite, and it's tiny. Like, this is the size of about a VMU or a box of matches. <laughs> So this is a little gaming device that you can hang on your key ring, essentially. I didn't believe him. So Ravi sends me the link, and I'm, he's like, oh, it's, it fits in the palm of your hand. And I was like, oh, once again, it's Ravi. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a bit smaller. like a big CRT or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a bit smaller than a, than a Game Boy Pocket, or it's just going to be like the Game Boy Micro. So I watched the video, and it... It's tiny. Yeah. It's it's literally like, I don't know, it's it's so small. I've got a, a fob for my um, garage gates at home, and it's yeah. about the same size. Yeah, literally. Like, it's just, you know, like you say, it's key ring size, it's key size. Yeah. So, and, but, uh, you know, they say it's it's really tiny, but um, it's got an OLED screen, you see. And yeah. OLED is really expensive to get for the phones and all of this stuff. So, yeah. I can imagine... They've probably made it that small because getting those screens would be cheaper. and uh... Yeah. And it makes it unique as well, though, because, you know, there's no point in making yet another Game Boy clone that's the same size yeah, as the original. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and obviously people are interested. They've got a crowd supply, which is a um, like a fundraising, crowdfunding website. They've set this on. They wanted $20,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've currently got 74591 and there is still 37 days left on it at the moment. So, wow, so it's clear, it, it, mar- clear market for it. But... Yeah. When's the, when will the novelty roll, like kind of fall off as well with it? I think what's n- nice about it is that having, even though it's tiny, it's got a little D-pad on it, and it's yeah. got physical controls. It's yeah. not trying to do it on a touchscreen. So. It also corrects the aspect ratio for yeah. the older games, so they fit, good. fit the screen. It supports Game Gear, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Master System. That's the Sega and, uh, games too. Oh, yeah, okay. built, built-in Wi-Fi and Bluetooth as well, oh, and right. 8-bit audio, so... I wonder how many you can fit on. Do they actually say how many games you can... Uh, you put your own ROMs on, I guess, yeah? Yeah, I guess. I, I'm, I assume that it's done through microSD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. makes know. sense. So, yeah, well, that's... I mean, you never thought you'd have all those systems on your keyring. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I mean, the novelty of it is pretty cool. Yeah. But I'd be like, yeah, look at this, you know. And then, like, after two minutes of playing it, I'd be like, okay, cool, I'm done. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, I, 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 I don't know, because yeah. yeah, I think if it was, like, a LED screen, like a Tamagotchi or something, it might get boring. But OLED, it so stands out, because that's what they have on the Apple Watch as well. Yeah. And, you know, that's a tiny screen, but it's really defined. So I think with this, yeah, I mean, actually, the screen probably does look about the same size as an Apple Watch. Yeah. Um, and it's got, you know, physical buttons on there and everything. I think it's the kind of thing that 
obviously with it being SD card based, it's going to be instant loading. Yeah. So I guess it'd be the kind of thing if you're just maybe waiting for a taxi or you've got two minutes to kill, you can just quickly get a game on. Yeah, there is play. that. Yeah. So that's probably the market that, you know, they're probably aiming for. You're not going to sit down on the couch and play that for like four hours, probably. No. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool, though. To... Sat there playing it when you've got everything in front of you. Like, <laughs> yeah, you've got your 16-inch TV yeah. there, yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's always cool to see something that's kind of a novel concept and yeah. the fact that it's 372% funded is... Uh, I think a testament to the fact that it is a pretty decent idea, so we'll keep an eye on that. Totally. Now, multi-carts seem to be making a comeback. Now, these are cartridges that have got several games on. Mm. Yeah, I think Joe might know about these because there was all these old random Japanese ones that they used to get, weren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, they look nice. So we've got this retro bit doing these new multi-carts. We've got four on the go. So we've got the Jaleco Brawlers pack, Data East Classic Collection, Data East All-Star Collection, and then Joe and Mac Ultimate Cave Collection. So not your typical kind of rep- repros you'll see. Usually you see, you know, like your kind of your Contras and your Zeldas yeah. and mm. your super rare, like only Japanese releases. So it's pretty cool to see some some different releases and also one's Nintendo and then three are Super Nintendo. But the quality looks a lot better, but it does. It's straight away. It's that kind of like flashback to, you know, being in the 90s, early 2000s, sitting in Spain, and buying one of those 50 in one carts for your Game yeah. Boy or something. <laughs> or a Skegness. Yeah, Skegness, yeah, Blackpool. <laughs> and they've got them for the snares and the NES as well. So yes. they've got the NES form factor in there. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at this NES one here, the uh, Data East All-Star Collection. You've got stuff like uh, Burger Time on there, Bad Dudes, Rinking, yeah. Side Pocket. So, yeah, they are like some classic games from these companies. Yeah, I mean, and it's reasonably priced because of that's one thing I moaned about as well. About yeah. A lot of these repros, like a repro will come out of like a game and it's like £50 for one game. And you think... You know what, on eBay, I could probably get that game for 50 quid or 60 quid. Yeah. You know, obviously, it might be a bit battered or something. You get a nice, you know, shiny new one, which is repro. But, you know, most of these are like $30, $35. So it's yeah. pretty reasonable. But once again, um, could could you get those games for that kind of price? I don't know. But it is nice. They do look, the quality of them does look very nice, you know, when it sits there on your shelf. Yeah, and I think this this company, Retrobit, you know, they're doing some great hardware at the moment yeah. and add-ons and stuff. So... I think there'll be a lot more of these announced, maybe for, you know, mega drives and stuff. Yeah. yeah well, it no. looks like they're testing the water really, doesn't it, by putting four out. So I guess, what, you know, like you said, the price is not bad at all. And you mm. get the instruction manual in there as well. It's fully boxed. You know, the artwork looks really good in it. And yeah. it also comes with an exclusive button and sticker set and things. So yeah. I think they're kind of aiming at, like, you know, maybe the collectible kind of market. Yeah, or, true. You know, something new. But yeah, it looks pretty cool, I do, think. Do we know if they're kind of like officially licensed or not? I don't know enough really myself. Yeah, that's a question. You'd imagine with it being, I mean, obviously they're not actual Nintendo games, are they? Yeah. So they've probably played it a bit safe there. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I, I think Retrobit's the company that actually got licensing to do the Sega accessories yeah, at okay. CES. So. Yeah, because looking at the overview here. Yeah, they're normally quite legit, bit. aren't they? It does say, yeah, compatible with all original or third party SNES consoles, so it does mention it. Well, it, has, it hasn't got any Sega logos on it, but you know, I'm sure it'll work. <laughs> yeah. Or Nintendo. Yeah. If we look back in the week and it's gone, then you know the answer. Yeah, to that, yeah. we know that. Yeah. <laughs> Keep an eye on it. Take <laughs> those guys yeah. shouldn't have mentioned us on that yeah. podcast. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they're legit. So if yeah. you want to find out more about those, and no, maybe they're, also... they're a reputable long-term company. Of course, though. yeah, yeah. They've been around for years. Uh, we'll put a link if you want to find out more. Then check out the games list in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, talking of scoring really cool stuff, I mentioned those Jag games that I got. You got some Game Gear stuff actually at play, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I got 10 little Game Gear games, a few random Japanese ones, so I just plug them in and see what happens. You know? <laughs> did you get any pickups at the weekend? Uh, yeah, I got a few bits. Didn't spend as, as much as I usually do, but uh, I'm trying to get a complete Resident Evil collection for mm. everything. 
um, you know, every console, every release. Um, and I managed to pick Resident Evil 2 up for the N64 in pretty good nick. Anyway, 24 quid or something, was it? Uh, no, it was more than that. Okay. What was I thinking? Oh, you got Panzer uh, I got Panzer Dragoon yeah, for 24 did, yeah. quid. Yeah, yeah, I was quite pleased with that. Yeah, well, I, I think it'll take some topping Ravi's uh, little bargain that he got last year. Oh, yeah, my £2 <laughs> honeybee controller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, just to fill you in, if you didn't hear that story, last year we went to, um, it was my stag do, actually, it was it wasn't it, in Leeds. Leeds. Uh, day after, we found, like, a cash converters kind of place. Yeah. And they had, like, a box of, they, call, they said Sega Mega Drive pads and mm. stuff. And in there, if you're not familiar with the Amiga scene, there was a joypad that came out in about 93, 94 that was a lot better than yeah, the original. It was made by Competition Pro, yeah. who, who make a lot of really cool jo joypads, but this one was uh, an Amiga CD32 replacement, yeah. and it was much better. Yeah, yeah and that, right. they normally go for, like, about what? How much? About 130 quid? Around that, yeah. Essentially, they just look like a Mega Drive controller. Yeah. Exactly the same, yeah. but then the buttons, rather than... A, B, and C, it's like a square symbol. And, and they yeah. don't have the appalling D-pad that they yeah. have on the Amiga one as well. Uh, yeah, so. they've got the Sega Mega Drive D-pad. Yeah, yeah, nice uh, D-pad. <laughs> and then they're just like a slightly off grey colour, aren't they? So and you've got the shoulder buttons and yeah. stuff on it too. So at a glance, um, it's a Mega Drive controller. Well, the guy in the shop obviously thought it was, but he said to cash converters, he wasn't a con like, console expert. Yeah, cash for gold. Um, but then, yeah, <laughs> when he took it, what did he get it for? About five quid? I two years, two pounds. Two pounds. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a bargain, isn't it? You yeah. know, 130. But it proves that there is a market for Amiga joypads and especially CD32. I think the reason why they're so expensive is because they just such a short run of the console. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, there is life. finally a new CD32 gamepad. This is called the Procon CD32. And what does that look like at a first glance? <laughs> a black Super Nintendo controller. <laughs> Looks exactly like a SNES controller. It's the, you, it's the same shell. Yeah. You know, um, they've got that from somewhere. It's probably, you can probably get that. It's probably quite standard now. Now, wasn't I, am I right in thinking that the D-pad for the SNES recently came out of copyright? Um, that's oh, why it was starting to be used on lots of things. Oh, maybe. I think you might be right about I that. We maybe covered that a while I, I ago. I think we yeah. covered that a while ago. Isn't it normally like, yeah, 20 years patents last for, isn't it? Yeah, so that it's, makes because, sense. it's because um, Nintendo, when they did the D-pad, uh, when Sega tried to do the D-pad, they had to, I, I can't, they essentially reverse engineered it because okay. of the patent. But like, I think Ravi, I'm pretty, I'm 99.9% percent sure Ravi's right about that one, about the patent running out. And now you're just seeing all these controllers kind of coming out. That would make sense because there's yeah. been quite a flood of them on the market recently for mm. various systems. But um, I think, you know, looking at this, it doesn't look like it's specific to the Amiga CD32. It's essentially just a black SNES controller with yeah. the CD32 logo on there. But obviously it'll have the um, Amiga, you know, the nine pin um, D sub connector at the end, I guess. Yeah, and it, it's got it's got like um, you can map buttons on it. You can remap buttons. Okay. You can have a turbo fire and uh, reset, and you can save all the presets as well. So there's like little key com combos you can do on it to add extra features or remap. Because you know a lot of Amiga games would have up for yeah, jump. Of course, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, you know. yeah. That's actually really good, then, isn't it? Because the other the older controllers didn't do that. No, no. Yeah, so there's a lot of games where you would actually like one of the action buttons to be the jump if you're using yeah, a yeah. pad. So yeah. made the sticks, weren't they? A lot of them. But then you look at the the little circuit board inside here, though. It does say CD32 on the circuit board, so maybe the actual board itself is custom for the CD32, and obviously it'll do all the you know the CD controls and all yeah. that. I imagine too. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, that has obviously by the price of the the old ones, there is a demand for this. Well, these are 38 euros, yeah. so um, fully built, and you could buy it in kit form for. Uh, 27 or a partial kit where you just get all the triggers and build it out your own stuff. Just click on buy it now. Yeah, I think they're going to sell quite a lot. Yeah, uh, that's available on EAB, which is the Amiga English 
English Amiga yeah. board, yeah. Well, I'll put a link to that in this week's show notes as well. All right, guys, well, thank you for checking out episode number 109 of the Retro Hour podcast. We will be out again next Friday, available from all of your favourite download sites, your favourite podcast clients and uh, obviously we did get a few nice reviews actually on iTunes recently didn't oh, we? We had some really nice ones and uh, actually on Facebook we had a review I didn't know people could review us on Facebook so guys please do that I turned it on <laughs> yesterday you can optionally put reviews oh, on your page okay, cool. so yeah I, I, I thought yesterday we got it on the page so I turned it on we got one straight away so. we'll all go review it ourselves yeah yeah be nice Joe <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you'd like to leave a review on any platform obviously it always really helps us get new listeners and gets up the chart and everything and on iTunes and that kind of thing so that is always appreciated your five star reviews of three, if you're not better. <laughs> Anything above three is all right. Minus five. <laughs> Two right. star, bring back Joe. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you for checking out this week's show. We'll see you again next Friday and now recorded at Play Expo in Blackpool. Oh, this is so good. Featuring Nostalgia Nerd, Ashens, Kim Justice, and Slopes Game Room, a massive YouTuber panel. Enjoy this, and we'll see you next Friday. Ciao. See you later. Now, there will be a chance for you guys to do a bit of a Q&A at the end, but I thought, you know, let's go from you, Kim. Um, just introduce yourself and maybe tell us a bit about your channel and what we may know you for. Yeah, sure, OK. Uh, my name is Kim Justice. I've been doing YouTube for about five years now. I do documentaries about various subjects that interest me, anything from, like, Spectrum to Mega Drive, Amiga. I do things about industry figures and companies, things like Ocean Software, Peter Molyneux. Robert Maxwell, I just generally try to cover lots of different shades of uh, Pratt, basically, a lot of the time, <laughs> trying to moderate my language. <laughs> but yes, I, I just tend to do stuff on, I do stuff on like wrestling as well. I kind of like do sort of story-ish documentaries, kind of try and build up characters a lot. And yeah, that's me pretty much, um, kind of faking the living at it since 2012. It's kind of cool. Hello, um, I'm Stuart Ashen from the channel Ashens, uh, which I've been doing for 12 years. That's not a period of time I like to think about. Um, where I look at low quality items and take the mickey out of them. And when available, I do some retro gaming stuff because I'm mildly obsessed with it. Um, I've written two books on the subject. Terrible old games you've probably never heard of and Attack of the Flickering Skeletons. Because I like short, concise titles. <laughs> Hello, I'm uh, Peter Lee. I run the channel Nostalgia Nerd, which I've been doing for, I don't know, two years, maybe three years now. My early videos were absolutely terrible. My current ones are questionable. Um, basically, I cover retro gaming, uh, documentaries on old hardware and computing and software, and just generally talk about that. Quite a lot of nonsense. That's what I do. Hey everybody, uh, I'm Daniel Wibbertson, aka DJ Slope from Slope's Game Room. Um, I'm probably no, most known for my The Complete History series where I try and uh, look into the complete history on particular gaming franchises. My most popular one is Streets of Rage, but with me being a massive Sa uh, Sega fanboy, I do try and 
uh, go a little bit old school as well to so my first love, which was the Amstrad CPC 464 before consoles took over my life. Um, uh, and other than that, I do a few other things, a few quirky videos like the random histories where I, I try and find really obscure history pieces that hopefully no one else has covered or uh, not covered to, to, the, to the level that I would like it to be covered. And uh, most recently, I've been winding up everyone on Kickstarter by doing my Kick Scammer series um, uh, and getting some very uh, DMCA's against me and everything else from all those people out there that like to scam people on Kickstarter. So I like to shine a light on those guys. So we always like to ask a question: What was your earliest kind of memory of computing or gaming experience? Just go ahead. Yeah, yeah I'll start. Um, my first computing experience was when I was really quite young. It was about 1990. Um, my dad used to work for Amstrad, like with Alan Sugar and all that lot, and um, ended up getting me um, Spectrum Plus 2. So not the old dead flesh rubber keys, like the actual one with the proper keyboard and the data loader that was decently made. Um, so that was kind of where I started. I started on that, I don't know, Postman Pat. <laughs> If anyone knows that, nothing's really terrible alternative software game. Stuff like Codemasters, like Dizzy, Chucky Egg. <laughs> Have you guys? Um, 3D Death Chase, which is one of my favourite games of all time. And yeah, it just kind of ballooned from there. Kind of went from there to Mega Drive, Amiga, PS1. That's kind of my era that was kind of all through growing up. So yeah, it was really bad alternative software games. was kind of my first memory. <laughs> Um, well, my sister, who is older than me, tells me that I used to hang off the Pac-Man machines in pubs when I was very young, looking at the screen and trying to work out what was going on. I never did. Um, my first computer was a VIC-20, Commodore VIC-20, given to me by my uncle, uh, which I had for about six months, and I found the games difficult. If you've ever played a VIC-20 game, you'll probably know why. Um, then for Christmas that year, I got a grey ZX Spectrum Plus 2 which was the real doorway into sitting in my bedroom and giving myself a hunched back for the rest of my life. Um, trying to think of great games from that period. Well, I started off with the games that it came with free, like uh, oh, God. Punchy and Disco Dan. And, Bullseye. Uh, oh, yeah, not good stuff. <laughs> and then there were things like Renegade, 3D Death Chase, uh, Fancy World Dizzy. If anybody disagrees, that's one of the greatest games ever. I will fight you. Um, good, yes. <laughs> Have you got a towel? Reminisce in between rounds. Um, trying to think, where do we go from that? So then I got an Atari ST, had that for a long time till it kind of died and got an Amiga, and then it all turned into PCs and everything went beige. My first ever proper console when it was actually, you know, a thing on the market was a Sega Saturn, of all things, because I always back the winner. So I had that for about three months and then had to get a PlayStation as well because I still wanted to play some games. Yeah, that's it, really. So my first computer was a ZX Spectrum, um, which I got probably 1985 or 1986. And I think the first game was Jetpack. Um, I think I was probably more enthralled by the loading screen than the game itself just because of the flashing colours on screen and I was very young. Um, but the, the main memory isn't actually a game, it's uh, probably the BBC Micro and the Turtle software, which you used to get with it. So you used to hook, you used to get a program called Logo, which you could um, program a turtle on the floor and draw a massive 
like a picture in the middle of a sports hall in the infant school and I was like what the hell is this blew my mind when I was like four years old and that's just stuck with me ever since really uh so I, I was a huge mummy's boy as a kid so whatever my mum got that was the computer or the console that I got into and no matter what my friends had whether it be a master system showing me Alex kid or uh you know all of these other home consoles nothing compared to the first game I ever had which was Bridget for the Amstrad CPC which isn't a good game in the slightest but uh oh my god are you, are you all right do you need therapy Is I, there I, you I was <laughs> strangely obsessed with it um, oh man it's so bad <laughs> isn't it's it? so bad and, it, and it's in it's impossible to to complete because there's no way you'd ever be able to push all the buttons at the same yeah you can't you can't do well in it but I, I was a huge mummy's boy and uh, no, Alex Kidd that's crap compared to Bridget uh, <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I would, I would, I'd done what I was I told basically until the day she bought me a Mega Drive but uh, yeah originally it was the Amstrad CPC and I was just obsessed with anything that looked like it could be a mascot that could rival those, those Mario characters and stuff that I see so I was obsessed with the Gremlin characters Thing on a Spring Bounder uh, Dizzy literally took over my life I, uh, I, I drew pictures of Dizzy all over my wall and then one Christmas put Christmas hats on every single one of them. Um, Luckily, it was easy to draw. <laughs> yeah, pretty easy, yeah. Um, so, yeah, from there, I went over to the, um, uh, obviously, the Mega Drive and then by Dizzy, it was all about Sonic. <laughs> Until I got Fantastic Dizzy for the Mega Drive. Um, and, uh, yeah, from, from there, I just carried on being Sega until, you know, around the PlayStation era and uh, that was it, really. Uh, now, you know, I'll try and get them all. Was it mainly gaming that you guys were into then? So I know, Stuart, people may not know this, you've actually got a couple of public domain releases on the Amiga. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> what were they? Uh, my God, so there were three technically... Oh, no, I lie. Technically two. Uh, the first was something called Apathy, which was just a weird front end for the Amiga Amos uh, programming language speech synthesizer mainly to amuse my friend Raymond. So that was exactly what the world needed at that time, an in-joke released to public domain libraries. Uh, then there was Gribble, the Revenjo program, where there was just like a little man in a green jumper and you could kill him in different ways by selecting it from a menu. And there were some quite interesting sampled sound effects I nicked off Monty Python. <laughs> it wasn't a good program. And the only game I actually wrote was never released. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, called Killjoy, where you um, little rotoscoped versions of myself, looking a bit like something out of Virtua Cop, but 2D. And quite visually impressive, the Amiga at the time. Well, animation-wise, not if you'd see a still shot of it. And you just shot them, and they fell over. And I finished it the day before the Dunblane Massacre. So that was never released, yeah, for obvious reasons. <clears throat> But it was crap anyway, so fair enough. Well, let's talk about gaming television. So obviously that was huge in the early 90s. And I know Peter and Kim, you often cover it on your channels. What was your favourite gaming television show, Kim? What memories have you got? Um, my favourite, like the TV shows, was definitely Games Master. Just had to be, you know, all Ooh. these sort of... <laughs> <laughs> The war's on. Oh, I, oh, my God. Um, just all the Neil and Knuckle humour... I mean, they kind of came off as kind of dicks a lot of the time, as we said, like Dominic Diamond and Dave Perry, like always just clearly hating each other. But I mean, you had Patrick Moore as the games master, even though he knew absolutely nothing about the games and it was kind of clear of that. He still was like kind of a good sport about it. And yeah, it's just a really interesting history. But um, other than Games Master, um, one of my favourite shows, which not technically TV, but was kind of on the, like, the early days of video on the internet, was uh, Consylvania, which is still going today. Um, Rab and Ryan um, from Glasgow, Scotland. 
um, yeah, just kind of doing this stuff. And that was a big influence on like the way that I do my gaming reviews these days because they really kind of got into detail about the game. Like, actually, why it was good, which is kind of what I wanted to do with my channel instead of saying that everything's crap all the time. Well, no, Peter, you actually do commentary over old episodes of Bad Influence. Bad Influence! <laughs> yeah. Tell us about Bad Influence, then. What do you remember about that? Bad Influence is possibly the greatest programme of all time, I would say. Aside from the fact that Andy Crane, who presented it, knew nothing about computers or games consoles, it was actually... Um, it used to be on at 4.45 on ITV on a Thursday, and after school, it was just the best thing to watch. It was just like... Back then, obviously, we didn't have the internet, so... Um, You'd have to get your reviews from magazines, which were a month out of dates, at the least. Um, so Bad Influence provided reviews on like the latest games and machines, and just just it was everything I needed in a program and more. And it still is today. I mean, like twenty what was it? Twenty five years later, I still watch it, and I think, oh my god, that's amazing! Look at that, look at that eight bit machine. And, you know, forgetting we've advanced to where we are now. It's crazy. Yeah, I can't really add much to that. I, uh, that. That's the one I watched the most as well. Also, uh, the Sky Shows after school with Big Boy Barry. Uh, was it Games Game Zone? Games World. Games World. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so I used to watch that as well. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah, bad influence primarily. Yeah, it was mostly Games Master for me. I think because I was a bit older, but <coughs> still watch Bad Influence as well because it was just a novelty to see people actually talking about video games as if it was a thing and not something you should hide in a room and be shot if you accidentally played one, you know. First actual, you know, mainstream media realising it existed, I suppose. Now, remind me, Peter, did Bad Influence have, like, a data blast thing at the end where you had to record it? It did, yeah, yeah. If you were lucky enough to own a video recorder which didn't create a freeze frame like this then you could catch some information at the end. Well, you've confirmed my memory. We didn't have one of those VHS players, and I would record it and then try and read it and couldn't, and that still annoys me to this day. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't forget about Nam Wood as well. Oh, Nam Rood. What's his name? Andy... Oh. Andy Weir. Andy Weir, yes. Nam Rood's doorman backwards. Yeah. yeah. Which blew my mind. Yes, it still Which does me today. He lives in Australia now, doesn't he? Is he? No. That's ah. a completely pointless fact for you. Last I saw, yeah, he was he was in Emmerdale, wasn't he? Recently. Yes, and uh, in Mr. Biffo's fan footage. Was he? Oh yes. Uh, yeah. I must have missed that. Yeah. Well, that's one for you to go and look at afterwards. <laughs> Why don't we all do the same? <laughs> that's a plug. <laughs> so, do you guys think that gaming TV needs to be back on TV? Uh, would there be a kind of demand oh, for gaming? D d definitely needs to come back. I, th I, th I think there's such a such an audience for it now. If, if you brought back Games Master and, you know, we've, we've got um, Go 8-Bit, haven't we, on Dave by Dara Breen, which is okay, but it's not quite the same as Games Master. It hasn't quite got the same cool edge. If you brought back Games Master with Dominic Diamond, probably wouldn't do it, but someone else and had that. With the competitions and the, the competitions. Yeah, I think it would be amazing. You could do like a retro section, you could do the new systems. I think, I think the audience is even bigger now for it. It, it boggles my mind why they don't do it, to be honest. The I don't think they need it. I don't think they need it. You've got, you got YouTube up. now. You've got YouTube now. <laughs> like, YouTube is so niche for each channel. You can, you know, go and find out a, a channel dedicated to Amstrad, or you can go find, you know, you can find exactly what you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, but like if you, a program about knitting on terrestrial TV will get more views than most YouTube programs, won't it? So, I mean, if you put a gaming <laughs> show out there... Uh, uh, well, I'm going to have to go with Daniel on this one, because TV audiences really shrinking, and I people hate you all. who um, <laughs> are playing games 
not generally watching that much television. They, occasionally I'll talk to the BBC when they have, um, they want to speak to a YouTuber because I'm the only one over the age of three. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so I go in and they, they're so sort of entrenched in the old uh, linear programming stuff. They don't realize like the average age of a television viewer is now over 50. I mean, the kids are not watching it. And we always give the Peppa Pig example, like, right, a kid wants to watch Peppa Pig. They'll get their tablet their dad got from Maplin for 50 quid. I mean, it's a bit shonky, but it plays Peppa Pig. They get it up, play Peppa Pig, tea's ready. Okay, pause that, off we go. Try explaining to them that, right, you can only watch Peppa Pig at 4.30 p.m. on a Thursday, and if you miss it, that's the end of it. And if they come and you forgot to watch your tea, then you can't record it, you can't ever see it again. What? You know, there's just no need for that anymore for the newer generations. And... Plus, with the turnaround time of TV shows, you'd be so behind it. What I think could work is a television show around games. So it'd be like features and maybe retro stuff and, yeah. you know, something that isn't trying to provide news because it would always be behind it. Maybe there'd be something for that. But if anybody's ever dealt with a television company and video games, you will know they hate them. Uh, it's, they yeah. always see it as a competitor to television. Well, it is, isn't it? But um, they didn't with films. Mm. It is, but I mean, but it's always been historically, it's always just been a great rivalry between, because yeah. essentially a gaming TV programme is advertising something that's going to take away people from watching television. So it's Precisely. kind of polar opposites in a way. So it's, I don't think, I mean, as much as, you know, it'd be nice to see gaming TV back, because, you know, there is a certain professionalism about a TV programme, some of them anyway, and that, you know, you've got a crew and, you know, you've got proper plush reviews and big sets and all that, like Games Master back in the day on the oil rig and all that. But will it happen? I don't see it. I just don't see, like... You'll get plenty of attempts. You'll get you plenty of attempts and they just won't do it as well as, you know, what we want to see on telly, you know. Uh, like, uh, oh, this, this retro game, Pac-Man and Space Invaders, and it will never really go to the anywhere above the real obvious... I, I don't think. Yeah, mass market mm. stuff. I, the, one of the problems is, if, if you look at it over the years, there's been so few attempts at gaming shows, considering how gaming has grown. Mm. I mean, Games Master was like the biggest programme on Channel 4 at the time, it wasn't was, it? It was, yeah. Uh, and yet, oh no, people won't watch television programmes about games. No, it's because exactly as Kim says, it was seen as a rival. And the only reason why it had, uh, like, the budget it had, was um, Games Master, actually, you don't know, it kind of ended up in, um, like, the sport part of Channel 4, oh. which is why there were so many sportsman guests. Like, they always had people like Vinnie Jones and Jimmy White and various other sportsmen, just because it ended up in the sports programme so that they'd get a bigger budget. Kind of like how Young Ones for the BBC was in music. So that's why they always had bands. Yep, that is why. Well, talking of television that we watched as kids, Stuart, you actually brought back a classic show a couple of years ago on YouTube. Tell us about the remake of Nightmare. Well, you can't thank me for it directly because I didn't pay for it. I really didn't pay for it. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, yeah, that was an odd one. It was old YouTube wanted to do something for Geek Week and somebody, which was like a week of geeky stuff they did. Really glad I explained that in case you couldn't work out what Geek Week was. Um, it's not geeky it's, enough, yes, YouTube, innit? Yeah, cool, yeah. Um, yeah, they came, somebody came up with the idea of bringing back Nightmare and all the original team, um, Tim Child, etc., were all on board for it. And we literally filmed it in Norwich in the old studio, which is now like an independent place. 
Um, on, in front of a blue screen, not a green screen, you know, really old stuff. I got to put the bucket on my head. You walk into walls a lot wearing that bucket. You, they don't edit that in, but every five seconds it's... Oh, jump, jump. See, yeah. you watch it as a kid, you thought it was probably filmed in like a field or something. But Yeah, no, it's just a tiny little blue area. <laughs> but yes. you're like in a cupboard. Just yes, <laughs> and poked me with a stick and said, I'm a goblin. <laughs> the more I think about it, that's not that far from the truth, actually. <laughs> but obviously, you got to meet like Treyguard. I'd have been starstruck. Oh, him. he lives locally. Old Hugo Mites. What a lovely bloke. And I was quite worried when I first saw him because he'd gone so grey and old. Then I realised, no, that's makeup. They'd literally done him up to look older and not warned us beforehand. And then, no. then he came back from having it removed. Bloody hell! <laughs> you know, he's gone back in time twenty he looks years. Almost exactly the same, doesn't he? He does. That? He absolutely does. Yeah. Wow. But uh, that was an, an interesting one from a YouTube perspective as well, because YouTube never gets particularly interested in anything from a sort of uh, admin point of view. But as soon as they heard they were bringing back a TV show, oh, they were so excited. So never believe it when YouTube say they're the future. They are obsessed with becoming television. You're backing up my idea yeah. about a TV game. Show. You said YouTube is good, and now bring TV back. No, no, I'm not saying. I'm saying that's what YouTube want to become television and take over the audience. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're yeah. desperate for legitimacy, which is why you've yeah. got the whole YouTube red fin, and they always try to make big stars out of the biggest YouTubers. Unfortunately, what then ends up happening is they end up going to Japan and just filming some dead bodies. Mm. And, <laughs> that and is natural then, progression. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> so it's like... Oh, back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. Who's next? I mean, they'll get to me eventually, I'm sure, but <laughs> I'm always open. Well, uh, about your YouTube videos, you and Slopes have amazingly researched videos, and I'd like to know how, how you go through your process of research and kind of make sure your information is all accurate. Uh, there, there's, there's no one answer. I mean, I, I, I've got a Google Drive folder full of maybe 50 scripts that I still haven't finished. Some may never see the light of day. And one of those uh, uh, scripts is, isn't a script, it's just a, a, an idea page of pages and pages and pages of articles that I've read and uh, uh, maybe a, a, an article out of a retro gamer magazine or an actual uh, a gaming magazine from back in the day. And uh, every so often, for instance, now I don't have this weekend's video ready yet. <laughs> and I'm just, I sort of make it up as I go along. Okay, now this is really interesting. Now I'm going to research this guy. What else has he done? And then I'll research. Okay, can I find anything else out about? So the next one will probably be Road, uh, road Rash, The Complete History. And I'll have to go and find some information out about that or some information. It, 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 I don't know how I do it, if I'm honest. I just make it up as I go along. And if an article falls in my lap, that's really cool. So <laughs> that's it. So, yeah, I try to kind of get as close to, like, the source as I can. Um, I wouldn't be able to exist without, like, the Internet Archive, the Wayback Machine um, archive dog, if anyone's heard. It's, like, a big resource full of, like, old websites, magazine scans, cause, and, like, interviews potentially with, like, people from actually back in the day. Because, obviously, like, people still around and still talk about the stuff that they did 20 years ago. But it's then different to compare those accounts from the present with what they were saying in the past when it was perhaps a bit more like slick and more PR and just yeah just interviews as well I try to if I can get in touch with anyone as well from back in the day and do like my own like sort of primary research along with all like looking at the magazines looking at dusty old websites full of like Amiga action or whatever or Sinclair user um, then that's what I'll do and just try and compile it all compile like the best the most like interesting stories I can into a video. Do, do you yeah. ever find yourself getting lost? Because I'll, I'll look through 
back through your Sinclair, mm. trying to research something, and then the next minute I've read the entire magazine, I'm on to the next one, and mm. then I'm, I'm like lost in a black hole for like days. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I've, got, I've got a video to make today, and then I have to mm. push something out rapidly. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, some sites are kind of handy, um, especially like the magazine sites. Um, World of Spectrum, back when it was still really good. Um, well, I mean, it still kind of has. Um, it had like, whenever you like researched a game, it'd have all the instances that um, a game that actually appeared in a magazine, whether it was in advert or in print review. That's kind of one of these things. When I did um, Cassette 50, I don't know if anyone's heard of that, the greatest compilation of all time. <laughs> um, I was able to kind of figure out like just how many times Cassette 50 was advertised in a Spectrum magazine because it was all on the, um, on the World of Spectrum page and I think the number was like 300 or something like that. I mean, never actually reviewed in a magazine because it was so terrible, just the most basic of basic games, but mentioned more than literally any other computer game in the 1980s, I think, in magazines. Nick's man, just silly things like that. That, And then I can compare, like, like I don't know, Underworld was mentioned like 100 times, Jetpack 200, and then Cassette 50, like 369 or whatever, compared to like all the classics just so far ahead. There are some great resources, aren't there? Like World of Spectrum. They are amazing and often don't get enough acknowledgement that they should. Yeah. Archive.org, you're right, is an amazing mm. collection. Hall of Light as well for Amiga, Amiga Magazine Rack. Yeah. So many of my videos just wouldn't exist without. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Imagine making a video without the internet. You'd <laughs> go into the library, I'll get, get Compton's so. Encyclopedia or something. <laughs> yeah. you just make it all up and nobody <laughs> Talk to people. <laughs> Well, Peter, you and I were talking backstage then about the Atari Jaguar. And one thing that always appeals to me on YouTube is finding out about obscure systems that you may not know that much about or failed consoles. And I know you had a CDI at one point, Stuart. I mean... I still do have a handheld one so I can play it on the train. <laughs> I didn't know there was a handheld <laughs> CDI. Oh, yeah, and it was only sold to shops as, as like, demonstration units. I don't know, it's the CDI, it's all weird. I was going to ask, have any of you got any favourite kind of underrated or maybe failed consoles? As we were talking earlier, it's the Atari Falcon, which is an amazing system and should have done so much better if Atari had had the money to push it. Um, when it went up against the Amiga, the Amiga 1200, it is more powerful than that. And the Amiga, I know you're an Amiga fan, boys, but yeah, the, 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 the Falcon's an amazing system. And I, I was lucky enough to get sent one the other week. And, you know, I... I almost exploded with joy. I mean, I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> what's in this package? But yeah, it's got, it's got to be the Falcon. I can't wait to see that video. Yeah, me either. I hope it works. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a shame the Jaguar never really got anything that actually pushed the hardware, particularly at the time. Because, I mean, like Alien versus Predator was okay, wasn't it? And that's hard to play. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's on the floor. It's really it's slow hitting. Like, yeah, <laughs> with, with a D-pad as well. When yeah, yeah. Even if they managed to get it technically right, the game design was a bit off, wasn't mm -hmm. it? But I mean, things like Club Drive coming out versus Ridge Racer. I mean, yeah. God. Yeah. Wasn't Club Drive famously actually laughed at by the journalists when they unveiled it? A PR dude. Yeah, That's yeah. They yeah. mentioned that yesterday. yesterday, in the yesterday. Panel. Oh, he was there. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, we have corroboration. There we are. But yeah. It, it would have been nice to have seen something that pushed it a bit instead of, you know, Kasumi Ninja and Ultra Vortec God. and Billy the Potato Man, which I made up, but it's probably better than any of the games they actually released. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like the Jaguar. I suppose I'm a bit more like in, in that modern era as well. I, I love the 32X and the Mega CD for as, even though the majority of the games on that Mega CD are awful like FMV games. Um, I, 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 I'm weirdly really into them. Uh, I, I just love owning crisscross, make my video and stuff. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not what you said in my book. That is not what you said. No, it's, it's cool to own now, but I mean, it's just it's something on a shelf. Oh, look, there it is. It gives me a chuckle, but yeah, it's uh, or in excess. Make my video, they did that. CNC well. Music Factory. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I love that. You know, I still remember seeing Road Avenger and being absolutely blown away. Like, graphics will never look better than this. Road, Road Avenger's an amazing game. It is. It's just, it's like, it's driving around and blowing up everything as you go. And what, what's not to love about it? There needs to be an HD remake of that game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. we mentioned uh, some terrible games there as well as some good ones. Um, wh what is the appeal with terrible games, mainly for Stuart? <laughs> it's that kind of thing when, you know, I was driving past a car crash and I couldn't help but stare. Do you know what I mean? It's when something goes completely horribly wrong, there's something interesting to it, especially to the level where you just could not enjoy playing the game. How did this get released? You know, the answer is nobody cared and just put it on a tape, obviously. But uh, there is that kind of um, bizarre fascination with the dive to the bottom. Because if you ask online, you know, what's the worst game ever? Everybody will say, oh, ET for the Atari 2600, which is pretty bad. Superman for the N64, blah, blah, blah. But, oh, there's worse if you scratch the surface. There's oh. really worse. People's paid money for Squidge. Squidge, yes. I mean, which, oh. um, which, unless you hack into the code, you can't play. <laughs> you literally can't move it because the person who programmed it, um, all the code was in uppercase but he put like the directions in lowercase. So for that reason, you just can't play it at all. You can't move it unless you hack into the game. It, it was just an edutainment program way ahead of its time. Programming <laughs> yeah. for kids. Figure it out. <laughs> and it's so badly designed that when you do hack in and turn off caps lock or whatever, I still couldn't figure out that anything worked. It was actually Kim who discovered that you could shoot enemies. It just gives you zero visual feedback. Yeah, there's no feedback. And no audio <laughs> feedback. So how Nothing. are you supposed to know that works? <laughs> just wait for a letter through the post from the programmer? <laughs> it's a life lesson. Mm. Well, Stuart, has NAF stuff always appealed to you? Because I know a lot of your videos are about, like, you know, Poundland pickups and that kind of thing. Oh, yes. I, I don't know why. You know, my favourite games, I was thinking recently, there's always something slightly shonky about them, for instance. I don't know why that is. But it's something about imperfection which, I don't know, endears me to an extent. But when something's really, really bad, that's when you, it sort of ticks that thing in your mind that just says, how has this happened? Why has this happened? Why am I alive? Or maybe that's just me, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think um, the thing is with... Um, I mean, I, I usually do games that I like, but sometimes terrible games, especially when there's something just interesting about them as well. Like, there's one game that I covered quite recently um, called Super Trolley, which is um, this budget... Spectrum game, and um, it has kind of a checkered past because it was actually um, the, a kid designed it and uh, got uh, Jimmy Savile on Jimmy. Jim will fix it. Yeah, boy. Um, yeah, squick um, to um, design and make through Mastertronic, and it is basically it's a game where you are a shelf stacker in a supermarket, and it's even less interesting than that sounds. It's. It's almost like, I mean, and I kind of played it and thinking, like, games are supposed to be fun. They're supposed to, you know, take you into some fantasy world. This is 
mundanity in the extreme. Who, who thought that was a good idea? Was Jimmy it? Savile. <laughs> well, uh, Daniel, you kind of cover a lot of failed Kickstarters as well. Are there any particular ones that have stuck out in your mind? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, a few weeks ago, I did... Um, Six times, uh, I, I called it a really nasty title as well. Like I, me and my wife, she helped me make it because it was so much in, uh, 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 stuff that we had to research on it. Um, uh, so it's the Kickstarter scum that ran away with your money six times, I called it. And I, I call him names all the way through and all this other stuff. And uh, I, wonder, I wonder if he'll ever see it. And, and five hours after it went live, he became a patron of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And I was like, I wonder if he's... No, no, that's not him, that's not him. And then it was a little bit nervous because all my Patreons were in a big Discord chat just completely dissing him. Like, oh, what an absolute... You know, all this sort of stuff. And I, I probably should get rid of him because he's going to start attacking like, my Patreons now. So I blocked him and I gave him his refund also because I don't really want him paying me if he's not giving any Kickstarters their rewards. Um, and then he... Uh, no one knows this, actually. I, haven't, I, I might be talking about this in a future video, but uh, he sent a DMCA to... Patreon to get my Patreon taken down. Not the video, but the Patreon taken down. So I got very nervous and I started asking the Patreon to hang on, hang on, hang on. Is he trying to take down my Patreon or is he trying to take down the video? And he's like, oh, just the video. I'm like, well, he can't do that. That's on YouTube. Uh, and they went, oh, okay. Well, I think all he wants to do then is take down the post. I mean, so he's going to all this effort for me to take down a post that says go and check out a video. I mean, my patrons know who I am. They'll just go and look at the video if they want to go look at it. So I had to remove it. I think. It's not the last I've heard from him. I'm pretty sure it's not the last I've heard from him. Um, he hates me. Uh, there's surprise, surprise, he's here today. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and 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 uh, a couple of weeks before that, I did the Kickstarter, um, the Kickstarter project that got destroyed by the Sun. And I don't mean the Sun newspaper. The way it worked was there was a girl making a board game about the solar system. And um, uh, it was going fine. Little couple of hiccups, but the board game community helped her out. Everything was nice and humble. And then one day she updated the, um, uh, uh, the, the update section on Kickstarter and said, uh, I've been, been, the, the Sun's been talking to me. The Sun has been talking to me. And they're scared that uh, I'm giving away too many secrets. And they had to try and stop making it. And it was so bizarre, so bizarre. And I made a video about this because I found that so interesting. And then uh, I actually interviewed her at the end and she's insanely, I want to say racist, but I don't think she actually is racist. I, I got called really nasty names. And then after it went live, she became a friend of mine and she's sending me a copy of the game <laughs> for a review. And I, I've obviously paid her for it because no way can I get a copy and the, the backers haven't. Yeah, I, I'm doing lots of these... I'm, I'm going to do an update video on all these crazy things that keep happening because there's loads more stories as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> well, on your channel, you cover Sega a lot, and there is obviously a lot of love for Sega here on the oh, panel. Yes. You guys oh, ever yeah. think that Sega can come back, or is it too late? Can they come back in maybe uh, hardware? They, 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 they've, they've pushed out too much tripe in the years since, haven't they? I mean, I mean Nintendo have played the game and they've pushed out quality products, but yeah. Sega just went down quantity over quality. And I just don't think they've got the, uh, the, 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 the drive to do that. Growing up as a Sega fanboy, like all my mates were Nintendo fanboys, and when I, we, we got a GameCube and I put in Sonic Heroes, and I saw the, the Sega logo come up, 
And then the Nintendo logo come up. I was just like, oh. I was like a proper punch in the gut. And all my friends are like, ooh, I bet that hurt. (laughs) They could totally come back. I mean, I think they may be on the right path with Sonic Mania. Um, They just need to get hold of their classic franchises that people do want to see and make a proper brand new Streets of Rage, which I suppose technically happened with Streets of Rage remake before they got it taken down. Um, They just need to hit heavy with the indie scene, I think, and then they would do really well, but I don't think they will, sadly. No, I don't think they will. I think, I mean, yeah, things like Sonic Mania are a good thing, but, I mean, that's down to, like, the fans. I mean, the guy made, like, Christian Whitehead's been a fan of Sonic and a great programmer, and it kind of came from the fan scene as opposed to internally from Sega. I think the trouble is I'm not even, even sure, really, just how many of those guys are there anymore like the guys who made like the mega drive and like the classic like system 16 teams and all that how many of them are even there well, that's i the thought thing. it was all like american sammy i mean there's nothing really left of sega in that sense certainly not hardware sammy wise. are doing bad as well at the moment they're, they're hitting big hits at the moment yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well talking of uh, former greats as well uh, you're really into the acorn and bbc computers peter and you cover them a lot on your channel um can you tell us about your kind of school experiences? With I do. I mean, I mean, I need to cover them more recently. But um, yeah, the BBC Micro was the machine I had uh, at school. I remember it being wielded on a red trolley. And I was like, what, what is this? Unveiled like with a cloak. It's like people crowding around it. Like, Look at the wonder. And um, just, yeah, just as I was talking about earlier with the, the turtle and the logo program language, seeing that turtle draw a massive picture in the sports hall was crazy. And then... Uh, the school got a uh, doomsday machine with the massive laser discs and then I found myself wandering around, um, I can't remember what town it was, but Leicester or somewhere which is a bit random but maybe yeah, somewhere like that but um, so in, in the middle of school I was like walking around Ashby I was like this is interesting and it kind of it, it, was, it was like an early first person perspective uh, game um, a, bit, a bit like an early Google Maps really um, way ahead of its time, so I, I, I think that, I think B- Acorn and BBC got so much right, and they were so far ahead of their time. I guess you know today the ARM processors in every mobile phone and that came out of the Acorn Arcade. Did didn't yeah, it? did absolutely. Um, um, yeah, they did. Sophie they did. Wilson. Yeah, yeah, Sophie Wilson. Yeah, um, they, they did, uh, and Steve Ferber. They did so much to to, to get to that position. It's a shame that they got caught up in the 1984 um, sort of crash, and Olivetti had to buy them out. Otherwise, they could have possibly gone in a different direction. We could have had BBCs everywhere instead of the uh, IBMs. Doubtful, but you know, it's, it's very <laughs> a BBC phone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, this is a question to all of you, really. How big is your console and computer collection, then? Is it kind of... Do you have a storage area for it, or is it kind of spilling out of every room in your house? It's absolutely huge. <laughs> I have seen Peter's office, and I can confirm he has everything that's ever existed. Often two of them. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit greedy, really. I should probably <laughs> disperse that a little. But, uh, yeah, it's just nice to be surrounded by all these iconic machines. From It's kind of like, uh, it's, it's like a quest. Like, all these machines I wanted when I was younger, I can now get. And um, I just sit in a, in a circle around them and talk to them. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs>
I think that is a big part of the appeal, though, isn't it? The fact that, you know, you'd you'd look at these dream machines that were thousands of pounds when you were a kid, and they seem so far out of reach. And if you can get one off eBay for, like, 300 quid today. Even though they've got a fraction of the power of your desktop, you're like, this is so much nicer (laughs) than my PC. (laughs) There's so much more. You still think that in your mind. Well, I do at least. (laughs) It's the aesthetic, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the aesthetic, yeah. Mm. What's your collection like, Kim? Have you got lots? Uh, my collection's actually probably significantly smaller than everyone else's. I don't really have anything specific that I collect just because I don't really have space or anything like that. I kind of, and plus I kind of got rid of all my stuff like a few years ago in a fit of peak. But I'm slowly building it back up, trying to get all the stuff that I had from my childhood back. And so it's always nice to kind of find something good for a decent price. Do you uh, guys have any kind of consoles or machines on your hit list that you really want to get and you haven't been able to get your hands on? I think I've got, I've, recently I've, I've got the Falcon and the Mega PC, which were my two main machines I lusted after. So, you know, I'm just living, living the life, really. Now. <laughs> I want to start collecting for the PC engine. Um, PC engine, I want to get myself a Jaguar as well, which I know they're not that hard to get, you know, they're not like completely out of reach. But I, um, uh, I, like I say, I haven't got, actually got the biggest gaming uh, collection. I've got, uh, I've got a moderate size, it's pretty good. Uh, but I sadly, I, I sold my entire uh, Mega Drive uh, collection because I thought it would be a really good idea when the Dreamcast came out if I sold every single game I own for a pound a pop to buy a third and fourth Dreamcast controller, which I never used, um, uh, which was so painful. Uh, and then when I walk around the, out in the traders hall and I'm seeing Streets of Rage 3, 120 quid, I had that. Oh, I had the Punisher. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, but, you know, someone got it for a pound and I actually bumped into that, that guy where I sold them all to at a boot fair selling some PlayStation 2 games. And I just looked at him like, you were the guy. <laughs> was he wearing like a golden suit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's Massive gold grill, everything. Come, yeah. come and see DJ Sloop's collection. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's charging for entry. <laughs> and, then, and then I lost the Dreamcast controllers in a move and bought them again for £2.50 recently. So oh, I'll talk about... <laughs> but no, I mean, I, 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 I'm trying to collect again, but I'm trying to collect quirky things. Uh, and annoyingly, until I get uh, take this you know, YouTube thing full time, which I'm not doing yet, I will have you know, how Pete's got with his room. I'd, I'd, I'd love a game room to be able to put it all in because when I do a complete history and I go out and buy, oh, have I got Echo the Dolphin? I'll go buy Echo the Dolphin online. It won't much, like 10, 20 quid. And then I go upstairs, oh, I've got it three times now. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I, need a, I need, at the moment, they're just in boxes, sadly. Uh, Most of my collection is very old computers from sort of uh, early 80s. Is uh, when researching the terrible old games books, I realised at some point somebody was going to say, "Well, I ran that game, and actually, it works fine in the original hardware. It's you emulating it." Mm-mm-mm. No, oh no, my friend. <laughs> Allow me to point you towards my TI-994A, running your game on the original hardware through a CRT, and I think you'll find those graphics do flicker, darling. Mm. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, but I'm looking forward to being really smarmy when it does. Yeah. Um, Collection-wise, I'm still trying to complete my Sega Saturn game collection, which I will never get anywhere near, because once you've got half of them, the other half are all like 30, 40 pounds each. So... I might complete it if I live to be 10,000 years old. Have you, got, have you got the super rare ones with the Sega Saturn? A, a few of them. Um, I've got Panzer, Panzer Dragoon. Dragoon Saga, yeah. which my agent just gave me one day. He went, oh, I'll go and found this. What? what? <laughs> Do you know what this is worth? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm just having it anyway. Um, but he also gave me a Jaguar, so, you know, the world balances out, doesn't it? Um, I've got Street Fighter Collection, which I didn't think was that uh, rare, but I saw it in the Trader Hall for, like, £150. That, that surprised me. I had that as well. Yeah, yeah. I got that. Um, 
I, I, what I'd really like is Deep Fear. Ah, the last Not one. the game, just in general. I think it would be a really good state of mind. <laughs> now, it's um, like, as Kim's about to say, the very last released Saturn yep. game yep, in the UK. And it's like a really bad Resident Evil. Yeah, so a resi clone only in a submarine, isn't it? Or like an underwater space station. or Underwater space station? <laughs> <laughs> Killing two birds with one stone in that <laughs> yeah. narrative. Sea yes. station. Yeah. Um, I would like that. I think just because it's the last one. Also, it's very rare and expensive. But I'm trying to think what the most expensive game is. Mr. Bones, maybe? Yeah, that Probably. one. Yeah, Panzer Dragoon. Yeah. Yeah, I think Panzer Dragoon is not as rare as you think in that sense, or as pricey as you think. But the problem is it came in like a cardboard box that's easily damaged by, you know, photons and background radiation. So um, very few of them are sort of complete and decent. We did mention about writing books, though. You've got two books out now. Um, yes. What was kind of the process? Have you all bought it yet? Few <laughs> <laughs> hey. in the audience. <laughs> Thank you. I was scared that wouldn't work for a second. But did um, you ever imagine that you'd be a published author? And what was kind of the process of writing those books then? Oh God. Um, now, when I was young, I used to write a lot of stories and fiction. So I thought maybe I could do a fiction book one day. But then I realised it was a lot more fun to just play crap old games and laugh at them. Um, <laughs> and you did write terrible old games as well. Yes. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, yeah, that, that was a weird research thing, because I, I started doing it for a video um, series, and then it sort of expanded into this book, and I was surprised at the end of it by just how many there were when you really look into it, because I thought, could I get enough to fill a book? Now I could fill probably five books. I could do a book alone on the Amstrad CPC and the awful ports it got, you know. Um, yeah, it was a much bigger field than I thought, much bigger. <laughs> Well, we're going to give you guys a chance to ask some questions now, but uh, please just give a round of applause to our audience. Thank you very much. Okay, so any questions, uh, just raise your hand if you've got one. Ravi will run over with the mic. This is a question to the panel. We, we live in an era of hardware reboots, and there's a hell of a lot of Spectrum, ZX Spectrum ones. I'm just wondering if there's any retro computer or console that you would like to see rebooted? I'd like to see an N64 just because it's the Nintendo console that doesn't emulate that well and it's really hard to connect them decently to a modern television. So hopefully they'll get onto that now that they've made 11 bajillion pounds on the SNES Mini. The same for the Sega Saturn. That's where oh, yeah. Sega could come back because if Sega uh, made a Sega Saturn, basically that would actually play games and then chuck, you know, maybe ten or twenty games in there, chuck your, your, your typical Sonic R, all that sort of stuff. But it actually could play games as well. Give an HDMI thing on the back that would sell, that would outsell anything that you know. Everyone would want one of those. Um, th th this is what they could do to come back, but they won't. Um, uh, but yeah, You'll get Sega at games on it. <laughs> yeah. It'll yeah. be a cardboard box yeah. with Saturn written on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think I'd like um, to see a Sam, the Sam Coupe brought back, mainly because it's so bloody expensive. So to get like a cheaper version would be nice, I think. Do you know, actually, going back to the which console, would you like, that is one thing I would like, a Sam Coupe. Have you got one in your office that I can touch? No, no, I prefer not to talk about that, please. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise. I think it would be good to see like an Amiga joystick that you plugged into the TV with all the games on, like they did that Commodore 64 thing a couple of years ago. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like a sort of Amiga that's yeah just got 
whole bunch of gamers or you can put an SD card in, put them all easy. I mean, you can do all that with like a retro Pi if you've got like, the technical know-how, but it'd be nice to see like a proper Amiga one. I think there was one a couple of years ago called the Amiga. There is, yes. Yeah, yeah. I've been using it to image discs, ah. which is a great way to get loads of dirt in a disc drive because old discs, Ooh, bloody hell. Yeah. Mm. Any more questions? Uh, yeah, one here. Um, Ken, do you think you'll ever do another Ken Blitz? Will I do another Ken Blitz? Um, I might do something where I'd end up doing that, because, I mean, for anyone who didn't know, like, the Kim Blitz was something that I did, like, every day, like, I had a review, like, in a month. I think it was, like, February two years ago. I did, like, a review, every, like, every day for, like, 28 days. It was mental. I really shouldn't have done it. Um, I might do something, not necessarily like the Kim Blitz, but, um, like, licensed games sort of videos that I did, because that's kind of one of my soft spots. I really like covering, like old licensed games that no one remembers, that no one liked at the time, but there's always something quite interesting about that to me. So I might resurrect that in the future. Uh, this is for the panel. Uh, what would you say the strangest story behind a retro game that you've come across is? I mean, Squidge takes some beating, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, basically written by somebody under contract who had to deliver something, so he deliberately wrote something in a couple of days that he knew mm. was so bad they wouldn't release it. They didn't even look at it. They just duplicated it and sent it out to the shops. Yeah. Hence Quality why it control. doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like uh, Squeak. Um, I, I'm not sure what home computer that was, but basically um, they accidentally sent the, the, the not finished version uh, out. It was finished, but what basically the developer did was every time you completed a level, instead of saying hooray or some quirky little thing, he would say, F your mother. Um, <laughs> and that that got into like all the, the usual papers, but I mean, we couldn't find anything. And when I done my squeak complete history, I said to him, "So did this happen? Yes, it did. So it went out, and they accidentally sent the wrong tape instead of sending the proper one. Where they changed it back, uh, they don't send their jokey little one that they made themselves. Where every time you complete a level, <laughs> squeak tells you to f your mother. <laughs> oh God." I, I think I think it's Lotus Turbo Challenge, where if you um, isolate some of the audio tracks, you get some abusive lyrics thrown at you <laughs> through the through the computer. Which um, is quite I quite like finding things like that stuffed into games where the program was clearly disgruntled. He's like, screw you, let's just put this in here, and he's satisfied with that. It's quite nice. One Any of my favourite ones is um, the bit um, the Bitmap Brothers. Um, um, Montgomery, Mike Montgomery tells this story about how back in the early days they were commissioned by Mastertronic or they were going to be commissioned by Mastertronic to make a game about real tennis. It's like, you know, I don't know, it's like the one with the roof and that, it's like kind of squashy. Um, and they researched it for like a month, like researched real tennis just to make this the best real tennis game ever. I don't think there's ever actually been a real tennis video game. Um, and so they go to Mastertronic and they comes and the first thing that they say in the meeting is we've decided not to make a real tennis game so all this like books of research that you've done you can just throw those in the bin <laughs> and so kind of just got and then literally they went to the pub and on the back of a fag packet uh they designed speedball or the idea for speedball like it, like it's really like speedball like this crazy futuristic future sports game comes out like one of the oldest sports like played by the gentry basically that's a really strange kind of how these things work sometimes. And then they made no money from it because it was made by Mirasoft and then Robert Maxwell fell off a yacht. 
<laughs> Why has our company gone? Man fell off a yacht. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Um, actually, my favourite story of that is the um, Pickford Brothers Zub, which is an old, uh, very good um, budget game. Three quid, little man jumps about, amusing character, nice physics, etc. blah, blah, blah. Um, it was originally called Zob, right up until the point of um, being sent to the duplicator, who pointed out that's a swear word in French. And if you look, they had, uh, the artist, Steve Pickford, had to change it absolutely at the last minute and get couriers to send new tapes. And if you actually look at the game's loading screen, the title screens, you can see where it clearly said Zob, and they've just had to use character blocks to take the top out of the O to make it a U. So uh, look out for that the next time you happen to be playing a game called Zub. We have got time for a couple more questions. Uh, this is for the panel. Uh, what do you think about the game Simpsons Hit and Run? I think it's a great game. So it's like the first good Simpsons game, if yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's a really Unless good game. you count the arcade game, I suppose. But yeah. yeah, the arcade game. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. That was a cool game. Yeah, was it the Grand Theft Auto? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it was the first one f made for sort of home consoles that wasn't like a very pared-down game for children, wasn't it? Things like Simpsons Wrestling was basically press a oh, button to wrestle. Oh, yeah. Or there was like Bart versus the Space Mutants. Oh, my God. What a mess What was the, that uh, was. the Dreamland one where... You know what I'm about? He has to oh, keep going. He has to do his homework while he's asleep. Yeah, that, that's not uh, <laughs> virtual bar. That's, that's a really rare it? game, that is. Yeah. Um, no, it was the, 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 there was the Simpsons crash Crazy Taxi ripoff where there was a whole lawsuit as well. Yeah, Road, Road Rage. Road Rage? Yeah, yeah that was good. Uh, and there was a Krusty's Fun House one. I'd forgotten all of these existed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the Simpsons on the Xbox 360 is quite an alright game. It's oh, like not playable. That one. Yeah, it's that not great. It's pretty good. There's a movie film as well. A movie film? Yeah, yeah one that, of those movie one. films they're inventing. <laughs> a game based on the movie. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Also, Bart's House of Weirdness, which is another terrible old game that no one's ever heard of. I have genuinely not heard of that. Which system? Uh, Do PC. my research for me now. PC, like 1991. It's oh, I don't awful. cover PC. It's so awful. You don't have a PC. I don't cover PC. Oh. And it's came out too late. But, too American. Uh, Hello. Um, barring the other guests on the panel, are there any YouTubers you'd like to work with? I'd like to work with Logan Paul so I could <laughs> arrange an accident. I'd like to work with. PewDiePie, just for the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I've chatted to Norm Gaming Historian, uh, so I imagine he will appear in one video eventually soon, but um, other than, obviously, Larry uh, and a few other people, obviously, I, I reckon I, I discovered you guys after, mm. not you, Ashens, but I discovered you guys after I started a YouTube channel. Yeah, Norm, that would be really good, but Lazy Game Reviews is one of my biggest influences when starting my channel, so I'd love to one day work with him, and we've chatted so many times, and I'm such a last-minute person. I need. Can you send me this audio? But I need it in three hours' time. And yeah, he he needs a lot more time than that. <laughs> it'll come. It'll come. Uh, serious answer. I mean, there's lots of people, kind of big and small. I'm, I'm an avid YouTube watcher with like so many different things. I'm there's quite a few people in, in this room, like who are also doing great stuff. People like Retro Man Cave. Some are here. Back office right in front of me. Maddie, Miss Madlemon, all do like brilliant stuff. And I kind of. I'm the sort of person that if anyone like comes to me like with an idea, I don't care like it's like oh have you got like ten thousand subs or whatever. If if not, I don't care. Like if you've got a brilliant idea, then yeah, I'm up for anything really. It's a great way That's of promoting good channels. It's so hard to break that initial barrier. Mm -hmm. 
and um, just getting a voice in that sort of thing is a really cool mm. way to, to break up your own episode and work with people that you know you respect yeah. and stuff I think it's awesome yeah and plus I mean we all started with like in the end, no, none of us started with like you know we got like a 10,000 1,000 subscriber head start everyone kind of starts from the same place really so it's always good like if you're you've got a big following I feel or like medium decent sized following anyway to kind of give back and you know help people out and just do good stuff together like just it's kind of more friendly that way instead of you know bitchy and nasty I, I, I think I'd like to work with uh, Retro Man Cave because he seems to have a psychic ability to, <laughs> to, to do the videos I want to do a week before like 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 <laughs> Yeah, that Minitel. I found a Minitel on eBay. I thought, this is amazing. It's brand new in box. I'm going to buy that. Went to click buy. Gone. Next day on eBay, uh, on Twitter, look what I've got. It's a Minitel computer. <laughs> you bastard. You'll have the first Falcon video, though, I think. The first full length. I, I don't know. I, I'm watching you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful getting your stories and hearing your memories. And our panel will be around in the trader hall if you'd like to say hello. But for now... Please say thank you very much for our panel. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.